0: And if you are uh, in 5th grade or under, you may go to the uh, kids' classrooms at this time, 5th grade and under. And usually I say that they're going to go do fun things, but we're going to do some fun things too. So, um, so if you haven't heard someone say welcome today yet, welcome to Restoration. Uh, we are about restoring hope, not just um, hope here, but hope with God and with people, and with what's broken in the world. And we think that means that that's about a life with Jesus. We think that that means not just a life individually with Jesus, but a life corporately with Jesus, too. Um, And so we call ourselves a church. But when we say that, we really hope it doesn't bring pictures of perfection, or religion, or boredom, or irrelevance. We hope that that brings, um, I guess, a picture of what Jesus would be like today if he was... Well, we believe he's here, but if he was here in bodily form. Um, So we're about being a Jesus-like community. And Jesus, if you read his stories, he asked people to do some kind of out there things, some crazy things, and we're not going to go too crazy, but we are going to be a little different today, because we want to be a little different as a church, and and so we want to get you up and moving, and the good news is you get to talk to like-minded people today, so Um, but since we're talking about masks and disguises, I want everyone that loves costumes, like you wish you could wear a costume every day. Like maybe you're even wearing one under your regular normal outfit, like I sometimes do, which I won't go into right now. So if you're that kind of person, you can go over here in a second, and you'll be with like-minded people that like to wear costumes. If you um, really... Just dress up or wear costumes a few times a year on special occasions. You can go over into this corner right here. If you are um, someone who really like dresses up once a year, you do your once-a-year duty, you can be right back there with Jim, right there. And if you're someone who's like, dressing up is silly. Costumes are silly, period. I don't do them then you can be right in the middle. And if you don't want to participate, you can go back and get a bagel or coffee. <laughs> no, really, we're, we're about, you know, grace. So we need you to move. We need you to move into these spots right now. So love it, wear it all the time, a couple times a year, once a year, and no way, no how, right in the middle. And you will have follow-up questions that come onto the screen so you don't have to, like, make conversation up. There are places. There are questions that will come up on the screen, maybe. All right. So we're going to start with my favorite group. Not that I have favorites, but I do. Um, there's a There's a picture of you. Can see why I uh, I choose the group that's um, that like would wear a costume every day. I think we have a slide for that. So Mark, you're representing that group. So, um, mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's why I like this group. So, Mark, why is this the best group? Because, because, check, check. Because we're the most fun. Um, <laughs> other than that, a, a lot of us have the benefit of having children who enjoy costumes, and uh, children need uh, playmates. And so, you know, it doesn't matter your age. And those costumes are pretty stretchy, so. <laughs> Most anybody in the house can be a princess. (laughs) At least I've figured that out. We do have, you know, boy stuff, but, you know, Emma being four and Ian being two, Ian gets uh, lots of suggestions, and so princess costume fits a little boy, too. And a dad. All right, so this was the uh, couple times a year group. So, Julie, you're representing the couple times a year group. Why is this group the best group?
1: Oh, why they're the best group?
0: Or, or what you guys talked about, whatever.
1: Well, we're the you can best say. group because we we understand there is a time and a place, but not quite so often as others. And uh, and we're willing to step in when that time and place isn't just you know the one time a year everyone costumes. So uh, some of our we had murder mystery uh, person, Ooh. and that favorite costume got to be a punk rocker. She was really excited nice. about that. And then the youth groups and and uh, high school, you know, they do some crazy spirit days, and that was kind of mine too. I teach, and so we have some crazy days. I get to wear a costume this week, as a matter of fact, a horrible Christmas dress to promote our garage sale that's coming wow. up this weekend. So wow. excited about that! So the kids will think that's really weird, and I love it. Okay,
0: that. okay. Now, Eric, you were the uh, once a year. No. no, you were the never. 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 <laughs> Okay, we have to go with the once a year group first then. So is that you, Leslie? Yeah, I was back. Okay. So give us some give us some highlights.
1: I know, well, I I know I feel bad. I kind of slacked on that cuz everybody was talking and so really I just do it when I have to. So that's <laughs> to
0: And that's once a year.
1: And if I,
0: Yeah. I wish you were either hot or cold. No. All right. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Okay, so you're the never. Never. Uh, It's just too much work. I mean, because you have to, you know, your regular day taking care of yourself, getting dressed, all doing your hair, takes a little bit. So to have to find another costume and then change out of your regular clothes for like an hour and then put your regular clothes back on, it's just a lot of work. So efficiency. I'm all, about all, right. The all right, let's give it up for those people. Thank you. Uh, we're, well, we're just about being real people, so we accept all of these different viewpoints on costumes. Um, but there are sometimes, seriously, and we wanted to have fun with that because it kind of breaks the mold a little, but really, um, seriously, sometimes people wear costumes um, they wear disguises for survival. Um, they, wear, they wear a costume because they're not sure who they are, and they've never had the opportunity to be accepted where, where they're at. And so, um, so we have a story. One, uh, one of our own, Liz, um, is sharing kind of where God has brought her in her life. So I'd like to give your attention to the screen.
1: say we want authentic people, no masks. But what if wearing masks covers up the pain? I never knew love growing up. My parents were married, but not in a healthy relationship. My dad was an alcoholic drug user, and my mom has a personality disorder that she chooses to never take medication for. So one minute, she would love you and show affection, and the next minute, she would be screaming in my face. When I was four or five, things got worse. My parents went through a really nasty divorce. (laughs) Um, I have images of my dad beating my mom as my little sister and I hid under the bed. After that, we didn't see my dad anymore. We moved. Maybe moving would make things better. We lived by a lady who followed Christ, but I didn't really know what that meant. She would do Bible lessons with my sister and I and pray with us at any time. We even thanked God for our food every day at her house. Was this love? I wondered. In second grade, I remember walking down the aisle at church and kneeling with the woman's three-year-old daughter and giving myself to Christ and asking Jesus to be my Savior. Maybe this was love. In fifth grade, we asked about church, so my mom took us to her parents' Catholic church. Here, we needed to go through communion. This was a big deal, and I remember my mom and grandparents and my sisters celebrating when we completed that. Well, when we were done, my mom gave us the choice to continue to go to church or not. And what do you think a 14-year-old would choose? I did not continue to go to church. I didn't realize that in the same sense, I was choosing whether or not to have a relationship with God in my life, too. Life got worse. My mom would go from boyfriend to husband to boyfriend. The relationship usually abusive, sometimes to my sister and I, but mostly to my mom. This wasn't love. I knew that much. I started going to a place called Treehouse, a youth organization especially for troubled teens. Even though I might not have thought of myself as troubled, we would arrive there after school, talk about our feelings, go on retreats where it was safe and fun and all the bad things in our life weren't there. We would pray and sing. Little did I know that God was at work in my life, sometimes literally saving me from death. Life wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. I was beginning to think that I could open up and be myself at trios, but then I would come home and experience instability. One time, I spilled ice cream on the floor, and my mom screamed in my face and told me I needed to look it up. And I told her no and slapped her. So she called the police on me, and they dragged me down the stairs by my feet and handcuffed me. This was the beginning of my foster care years. Nine homes in three years. I had no idea who I was. The social services declared my mom unfit, so each foster home would just be a blend. If they prayed, I prayed, and if they went to church, I went to church. But I found friends or family who smoked, I smoked. If they swore, I swore too. I had no idea who I was, except that I was supposed to keep my little sister safe. My mom's house never became a stable place where unconditional love might be found. So I went searching for love in all the wrong places. My friends and I would meet older guys who would buy us cigarettes and alcohol and pay attention to us. But at 16, I was sexually abused by one of the older guys. I was completely scared to tell my mom, who made me tell the police, who videotaped the whole thing over and over again. I couldn't take it. 16, I went to go live with a family in Lakeville. I so desperately wanted a fresh start that I lied to the school so I could go to school here. Unfortunately, I didn't ask God for that fresh start. I asked for a boyfriend who would love me and for him to take all the pain away that was inside. I never asked him for help or direction or to forgive my sins. The brokenness continued for five or six years. It's like, always to hang out with the wrong people, to drink, to party. While it was all fun, the reality was I tried to end my life at least four different times. I tried to search for God and ended up at a church in Burnsville called Faith. I would listen to the pastor talk about God and leave. I wouldn't talk to anyone besides who would want to talk to me anyways. Do you even know the real me? I dated a guy much of the time who broke my heart. I didn't run to God. I ran to anything that would numb the pain. I had to get away, so I moved close to be to my sister. The brokenness followed me. I managed to go to school, work, study, and party all at the same time, but God was not in my life. After two years of this lifestyle, my body was in rough shape. I moved back home to the suburbs. I found a job, took online classes, but continued to party. It was in one of my partying friends' wedding receptions where I met Chris. Our relationship started out no different than any of the others, full of drinking and partying, except for the fact that one day I woke up pregnant. I knew something had to change. God must have been saying, wake up. Is this your life? Is your life truly fulfilling? I knew I needed God in my life. I started having Chris drop me off at church that I went to in high school. Then Chris and I attended a friend's baptism there, and we never left. People talked to us there. We became involved. They talked to us even though we weren't married. And even when we told them we weren't, they still talked to us. We stopped partying out of necessity. We started serving at church. God became our friend, a father in our lives, and not a religion. And other people sought to love us. We became friends with some people who would form restoration. We joined a Bible study, and we would have people that accepted us. And at the same time, we had someone challenge us On how we were living. We prayed and decided to split bedrooms when Jocelyn was 10 weeks old until we got married. And we decided to start raising a child in a safe and loving environment. Our friends from our Partying life didn't exactly accept the changes that we were making. They questioned why we weren't partying and why we were splitting rooms even though our daughter was already born, why we wanted a church wedding, and why we wanted to even talk about having a personal relationship with God. They didn't like the new us, but we liked it, and it was hard. Since our wedding, God has led us to launch and help lead at Restoration. We found a place where we can truly be ourselves. God has freed us from all of our sin, and we have found unconditional love. And we believe that God works in all things, just like he says. He put one daughter in our lives to wake us up from our ways, and he just gave us another baby after months and months of praying. i Liz, pray, and this is my restoration story.
0: Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having the courage to say it. Amen. Sorry. I mean, we say we're authentic people and we want authenticity in our lives. It's kind of a buzzword these days. We want authentic ethnic food. We want authentic blue jeans. We want authentic personalities. We even want authentic church. But what does that really mean? I mean, when we see famous people on TV be authentic and reveal themselves, it's kind of like they're exposed, not revealed. They're exposed, they're mistreated, they're misquoted, they're made fun of. um, And revealing themselves often has a way of putting them back into hiding. Um, Maybe as you're pondering Liz's story, maybe some of these things are going through your mind like, wow, I can't believe she said those things, and, and I can't believe how healthy she is after she's been through all that. Or maybe you're like, uh, I didn't think church was a place we could be real. I can't believe they even, that she even said that. Um, maybe you're thinking, Wow, I'm glad somebody had it worse than I did. Um, maybe you're thinking, like, I don't know about these people, <laughs> like that's okay here. Or maybe you're thinking, like, Praise God that that He continues to bring healing and wholeness and restoration into people's lives. Um, Often, maybe not to the extreme of Liz, but often I think we move through life putting on masks. Depending on the situation we're in and the people we're around, um, we put on these masks because I think for a couple reasons. I think, number one, a lot of us are hurting. And so we put on the mask because we think that that will keep us safe. We put on the mask because we think if we can just distance ourselves a little bit from from who we really are, if we can just distance ourselves enough from people that they don't know the real us, that, that no one can hurt us then. And that's partially true. The farther you are away from people, the less they can hurt you to a certain extent. But it's also very lonely. Um, and it's only partially true because God created us to be in a relationship with him and with other people. And so when we're secluded, we don't really, truly, fully experience God. Another problem with wearing masks is it's exhausting. You have to remember which mask for which group of people and which thing, and i got to put this on for work, and i got to put this one on for home, and i got to put this one on for these group of people. And not only is it exhausting, it's disintegrating. It's fragmenting. It splits us. We become less and less of who we are as a person. So, I think we do it, number one, because we're hurting. I think we also do it because we're scared. Because the big question that's going through our mind is if people knew the real me, would they like me? If people knew the real me, would they accept me? I remember, I think I've told this story before, but I remember like memorizing. The, the sports page and watching ESPN right before school in seventh grade so that I would have something to go and talk to my seventh grade friends about because I didn't know if they would accept me if I just stood there. And I got dropped off 20 minutes before school so it was either sit alone or memorize the sports page and pretend to like have friends. That was my life. Um, and I'm okay now. Um, <laughs> But I think we have this real big question of if people knew the real me, would they like me and would they accept me? And I think that question inevitably carries over into our beliefs about God. And a lot of us say, if God knew the real me, would he accept me? If God knew the real me, would he like me? And Jesus absolutely hits this story in Luke 18. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. Maybe you'll take some notes in it. Um, It's just a phenomenal story. Jesus is a master storyteller. In Luke 18, verse 9, he is talking to a group of people. He actually addresses who it is. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper. But in this particular story of the Bible, Jesus tells a story to, someone, to some people who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned or despised other people. And so he starts this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was an honest, upright man. He's called a Pharisee. The other was a crook. He was a thief. He was a despised tax collector. Some of those words might not be in your Bible, but the first century hearers of this would have immediately associated when Jesus said Pharisee, honest, upright, religious, and when he said tax collector, they would have said thief, crook, betrayer, Um, so those all would have come in. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all my income. So again, everyone listening would have, would have been able to be okay with that. This is a Pharisee, so he's honest and upright. Sometimes if you've grown up in church or if you've read the Bible enough, there are certain stories where Pharisees are painted in a certain way, But in this particular story, Jesus isn't saying anything against the Pharisee at this moment. Um, The Pharisees were, were religious people. They knew their book, the Torah, the Old Testament. And in Jewish life, they did everything right. They knew that God had a certain standard, that they were supposed to go without food and water. That's what it means to fast. Um, He says he fasts twice a week. They know they were supposed to go without food and water on the most holy and sacred of days for them, which is called the Day of Atonement. And that happens once a year. So they were technically supposed to fast once a year. This guy fasts twice a week. So if if people get points for doing religious things, then he is going over and above what he needs to do. Um, He also, there's a rule to give 10% of your earnings He went over and above that. He gave 10% of every required thing, even beyond the required thing. So he's, again, going over and above. Now, some of the scholars think that this prayer is okay because it uh, reminds them of Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy is about the law. It's about the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 26, it says that um, where God tells the people, at special times, every third year, give a special offering Beyond your earnings, give a tenth of your crops to those that can't grow them. The widows, the orphans, the foreigners, these people. Give those special crops and declare before God that you have given this gift. Declare before God that you've obeyed all the commands and ask me to bless you and the people. That's what Deuteronomy 26 basically says. So some of the hearers of this story, when the Pharisee stands up to pray, again, they would have been okay with this. Well, he's declaring before God that he is right before him. Now, if we dig a little deeper, that's not exactly what he did. Because before anything, he addresses God, that's good, but then he compares himself to other people that he considers worse than him. Good thing we never do this, right? Never. Um, But that's what he does. He compares other people that are worse than himself. Other people in Jewish mainstream society that would technically be, quote unquote, far from God. Um, again, I think we can figure out how we do that too. So after he compares himself to people worse than him, then he prays to God about his goodness. But at the same time reveals that he kind of looks down on others. And he didn't ask for a blessing from God like Deuteronomy 26. So if he didn't ask for a blessing, I have to ask why. Why? Why wouldn't he ask for a blessing? And I think the answer is because he didn't think he needed anything from God. So we think the Bible is, 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 a, is not just a good story, but we think the Bible is accurate. Um, we think the Bible is true. We think we can learn something not just about first century, but about from our own lives. That takes a little bit of work and a little bit of investigating, a little bit of interpreting. But if we look at mainstream American culture... I think we can look at, regardless of whether we trust Jesus or not, we live in a society where we can be pretty self-sufficient. We don't have to depend on God for a lot. We're pretty independent people. And that's the Pharisee's first fatal flaw in his prayer. He doesn't think he needs anything from God. What about our own lives? What about the people around us, the people that live around us, that just... Living in America, I think one of the reasons that people don't have an authentic relationship with Jesus or a, a, a real church is because more or less, we don't think we need God in our lives. We don't think we need to depend on God. The second reason um, that people, I think, don't have a relationship with Jesus in an authentic way or maybe a relationship with the church is because, um, because we think that doing religious things will somehow make us right. That's the Pharisee's second fatal f- prayer. And you heard it in Liz's story. Her mom took her to her first communion class, and this isn't bashing first communion classes, but her mom took her to first communion classes and said, you know, do this, and then take this, and now good, you're done. You've graduated. You've checked the box with God, and now you can go back and visit if you want, but it's like you're in the club and you never have to do anything again. You've done that religious thing, and now you're okay. The Pharisee thought that doing these religious things made him okay with God. And I think sometimes we think that too, because it'd be easier. I mean, that's why there's this term legalism, like if, if, if you do this and if you do this and if you do this, if you dress nice, if you don't, you know, do this and you don't do this and you do this, then we can like be assured that we're okay with God. And sometimes we just want reassurance. But that's not where we find it. There's a third fatal flaw, but before we get to it, let's look at what the other prayer said. This goes to verse 13 now. So Jesus says, but, the tax collector. So but is like, I'm setting up a contrast here. So we've talked about this honest so-called and righteous so-called Pharisee. And now let's talk about that other guy, that despised guy, that guy that really works for this Roman Empire, this governing body that's over them, that pretty much can collect taxes at will and skim the top off the rest. And people hate them. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, not in a prominent place. And not only did he dare not lift his hands, he did not dare to lift his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Look at the posture of the two prayers. One is standing in a prominent place. God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. The other is, it, he may be standing but he has the posture of kneeling looking down beating his chest meaning like i've done wrong and i'm deeply sorry i need god's mercy in my life god's mercy being mercy means not getting what we deserve he knew he didn't deserve god's acceptance he knew he didn't really deserve god's forgiveness but instead he asked for it anyway He doesn't try to disguise himself. He doesn't try and mask himself. He doesn't try and do religious acts. He just comes exposed before God and asks for his mercy. Some people don't like to look at the Old Testament because they think that that God is mean and the New Testament God is good. Um, But if you look through the entire Bible, you will see this reoccurring phrase. God is mercy." Merciful and compassionate, full of grace, patiently withholding his frustration, his anger, and wanting to give people forgiveness. He's always doing that from the beginning of time. And so that's what this tax collector puts himself out to. And the next line might not shock you, but it would have shocked the people who heard it first because of the culture that they lived in. He says, I tell you, this man, meaning the sinner, the tax collector, the despised one, meaning this man and not the other, went away justified before God. Went down to his house justified before God. So the one who everyone thought at the beginning of the story was in the wrong was shown to be in the right. And the one who thought was in the right was very much shown to be in the wrong. Maybe your Bible says rather than the other. I mean, Jesus would have said it so strong in the original language, it would be this man, the one who was despised, the one who they thought was in the wrong. This man went down to his house justified, made right before God, which meant this one didn't. Because the tax collector prayed a prayer that unmasked himself and exposed his attitude, which was the authentic me is a sinner. The authentic me is the one who needs you, Jesus. The Pharisee, on the other hand, prayed a prayer that exposed his true heart. And that prayer was, I really despise other people that aren't like me, that aren't as good as me. And I really don't need your grace, God. That's the third and final flaw of the Pharisee's prayer. The third and final flaw that the Pharisee thought is he thought he could separate loving God from loving other people. And all throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, God says there is a deep connection with loving me and loving others. The most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisee thought he could just split those things. He thought he could love God by doing these religious things and then just despise other people. And he's not made right before God. And I think if we looked and we talked and we interviewed each person and we said, what's been your church experience growing up? The people that have had a church experience probably have a story about when someone thought they could love God and then not love them and then not love some other people. So what's the point? If you've gotten lost in some of the minutia of the the story here, The point is that God's not impressed with our religious acts. And he's definitely not impressed with people who say they love Jesus, but don't love the people around them. No, God is a God who responds to the needs and honest prayers of anyone God's a God who responds to the needs and honest prayers of anyone that is willing to expose themselves, that's anyone to take their masks off and say, I need you, God. That's what it means to be restored with God. That's why it's like number one in our mission when we say that restoration's mission is to restore people with God and then restore other relationships and restore what's broken in the world. Because if you don't get this part, you don't have the rest. I mean, you can pretend, but you don't. So how do you come to God today? Because if you came wondering if God knew the real me, would he accept me? I'm going to give you a very postmodern answer. Maybe. It depends. I would love to say yes, but the fact is I can't. Not because I don't know. Because your attitude and my attitude matters in how we ask it. If God knew the real me, would he accept me? Well, that depends on the attitude with which you pray. Do you come and bring all your masks and say, look at all the good things I've done, I don't need you? I don't think God's going to accept that. He loves you, but I don't think he's going to accept that. But if you come to God and say, I'm going to take the masks off, this is the real me, I need you. I can without a doubt tell you that he will accept you. That he loves you and he longs to have you unmasked and say yes. Yes, Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 1.9 that if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to clear all the wickedness. You can have that today. You can, you can take that. That's God's word and it's true today. We don't think we're perfect. I don't. I know I'm not perfect. Um, we try not to be self-sufficient here. We try to be real people that are honest, that believe that that God wants to see people restored with him, and that as we ask for that, that he gives that to us, not in a way that we can look down on someone else, but in a way that we can see others for who they truly are in God. So there's a sheet um, in your bulletin or worship folder thing or piece of paper that's yellow. It's like, whoa, glaring. And maybe the response is, maybe God is stirring in your heart. Maybe God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you like deep within your soul right now. Maybe you think it's just your conscience rolling through things, but I think it might be the Holy Spirit saying, what do you need to unmask? What do you need to remove? You don't have to put your name on it. But sometimes just writing it down on a sheet of paper is an action to say, God, I'm listening. God, I'm responding. And so I would encourage you as the worship team comes back up, as we sing this last song, that you just take a minute to go, God, is there anything that's in my way? Is it an attitude that I have? Am I treating people really truly with the love of Christ? Maybe the thing you have to remove is religious acts. Maybe you're pretending to do something that you don't really believe. What exactly might God be saying to you? What exactly do you need to remove? And maybe you don't need to remove anything, and maybe you can just write a praise to God about how he has fully accepted you, and that now you don't have to wear any masks. Now you can truly be who you were always meant to be. True restoration. Liz found that. You know, Liz was kind of worried about sharing her testimony because she wasn't sure what everyone was going to think once they know the real her. And I said, Liz, I don't know if pastors are supposed to kick people in the shins, but if someone comes to you and judges you, I will kick them in the shins. I won't have steel-toed shoes on. I'll have my rubber soles. Because that's not okay. Because Jesus said that wasn't okay. Amen. So what do you need to take off? Um, I encourage you to write it down, and if you'd be so bold, again, you don't have to write your name on it. There's a, there's a cool basket that Mike's holding up in the back that you can put those in um, as we leave today. So um, let's go to God in, in prayer. God, as we look at your word and we see what it says, just even in one story, about two attitudes, about two ways to come to you that aren't really exaggerations, God. I think we can see them in our own lives and in the lives of people we know. May we come to you as honest people and may we come to you as unmasked people. God, if there's stuff in our life that we're just frustrated about, that we are scared to tell somebody else, I pray that that you would give us the courage to confess that to someone who's trusted, someone who's not going to throw us under the bus, God, someone who's not going to um, make fun of us, someone who's not going to say, oh, it's fine. Because Lord, you say that that sin isn't fine. It destroys our lives. It takes us away from you. So we don't condone it. God, but we're not the judge. You are Holy Spirit. You sent your son into the world not to judge the world, but to save it. God, we cry out to you. We call out to you to save us, um, to take those masks off us, to be truly who we were meant to be, to be restored, and so that's what we do today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for a fresh time, um, God, just speak to us about how we're supposed to take these things off our lives so that we can really, truly experience you.